Hello, and welcome to... Give me a moment. <laughs> you have to leave that in, Vince. All we, right, we all right. Some... All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Game Audio Hour, a fortnightly podcast where we discuss all things game audio. From creative ideas to the latest techniques, project experiences to audio secrets, here is where you'll find in-depth coverage and opinions related to game audio. This is episode 234. I am really tired. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm. Uh, this is Vince Diamante over here uh, doing my usual thing, recording from Southern California. Um, over on the other side is Alex May. He's not in Southern California. He's in Sweden. How are things over there? Uh, extremely cold right now, actually. I, I just looked it up. Uh, it's minus six Celsius, which is about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's winter in Sweden. It's, uh, very, very, very cold. But you know what? I always, uh, whenever you um, uh, introduce me on the show here, I think I always talk about the temperature where I am. So instead, I'm going to try something different. And I'm Ooh. going to say today, I wore blue jeans. Blue jeans? <laughs> I don't, sorry. I don't know. What's, I was trying to think of something equally boring as talking about the, the temperature. So if I, if I just described the pants that I wore, maybe that would be just as boring. Maybe. I don't, I don't know where this is going. I think we should just stop and talk about some game audio. <laughs> um, it, yeah, we could do that. Uh, that is totally a cool thing. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Vince. Yeah, no, um, I've been having fun with uh, games and audio lately. Actually, there's a reason why I am particularly tired today, and that is because I was up quite late last night because of two things. Okay. One... I was hanging out with some people over at the Game Awards, which is oh, yeah. the annual event that happens courtesy of uh, Jeff Keighley. You know, it always happens around this time in December, celebrating mm. the game industry, you know, throwing out some awards out there, as well as uh, showing off a bunch of world premieres. You know, a lot of companies like to use that as a place to put in their premieres of new games and announce dates and all sorts of fun stuff. So yeah. right after the event and all the awards were given out, then it was showtime for me and that game company where we saw the premiere of the collaboration that that game company has been doing with our game Sky, Children of the Light, and the pop star Aurora. So we're All right. Yeah, so that was actually really fun to see that happen and go mostly without a hitch. So um, I know I don't really talk that much about the things that I do as a game composer or sound designer, but a lot of the stuff that's been going on the last few, not weeks, but the last few months has culminated in last night, the night of the Game Awards, and right after that, starting this whole month where there's this virtual concert with Aurora and all the cool things that are happening in game there. And uh, it was really exciting. It was actually really cool to see that... Uh, to see that basically successfully launch. I'm really happy to see that. That is amazing, Vince. That's fantastic. 
it's um it's such a privilege and uh um it must be such a, a buzz to have your music performed live um either whether it's performed live or you know at least broadcasted live in front of an audience that must be i think i've only experienced that once uh where a game that i worked on had a um as once where i was actually there which was a game that i worked on a long time ago uh had its trailer played at the psx event uh in san francisco years and years and years ago and uh that was front of in front of thousands and thousands of people and uh that's my that, that was my you know not exactly 15 minutes but more like i guess 65 seconds of fame but uh how did it feel to have your music you know played across a big auditorium with lots of people listening Honestly, I was just scared. <laughs> really? I, I was really, really scared because, um, you know, this wasn't just a concert. It was everything that was going on in game. And mm. I just know all the possible moving parts where things just might not work the way that you expect. It might be on the game client side, which is where I'm primarily responsible, not just with the assets that are in there, the music and sound, but also some of the design that's happening, mm. you know, design and level, design with the interactive music stuff and the transitions between music. And obviously, we spend weeks and weeks testing all these things, but there's always that possibility that something is going to sneak through something that you don't expect. And of course, there's also the things that are totally out of my control, or maybe were not primarily looked at by you. Things like how exactly is the game design interacting with the interactive music design or something related to the back end and the way that level transitions are actually triggering across not just the individual client, but also all the people that are in there in an instance of this big, massive multiplayer event that we're doing. There's just so many things. And for the most part, yesterday was out of my control. I was just watching, not just with bated breath, but with just like sweat, you know, bullets, sweating bullets down my face while watching this thing uh, unfold before us. So it's... It was exciting, but I would say it was mostly anxiety-inducing. I mean, come on, Vince. It's not as if anybody in the audience is just going to stand up and say, like, this this game audio implementation, this is just subpar and just, like, storm out in, in, a, in, in en masse. That wouldn't ever have happened. I'm sure everybody was completely enthralled and entertained, so <laughs> you had nothing to worry about, really. Well, yeah, thankfully... It went off without a hitch. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we did spend a lot of time beta testing, and we saw a lot of problems happen during beta testing, which right. is what it's all about, right? That's what it's right. all about. And uh, honestly, the fact that it went through with mostly without a hitch on our end, you know, we, we heard some things happen uh, from different places. Obviously, there were other people at that game company that were, you know, monitoring how the game is going. And they would tell us things like, oh, oh, um, it, it seems like there's a little bit of a wait list in this country because, you know, just trying to get in to this big multiplayer event. It's like, oh, OK, cool. I get it. Um, so we would be informed about all those things. And thankfully, they were mostly small little hitches in what was, for the most part, a really, really successful event. So I'm super mm -hmm. happy. And... Um, 
And and like I said before, I don't really talk too much about how uh, about the stuff that I do with Sky. Partly because I'm sometimes a little bit embarrassed about, like, I, I always look at that thing and I can't help but see all the things that could have gone better or things mm. that I could do better next time. Um, and then there's also a part of it, which is uh, my bosses over at that game company. They would prefer that I, I, yeah, I don't need to delve into the details if I don't have to, so... But yeah, uh, I just wanted to say that was a lot of last night, and I'm super happy that it's out there. And for people who are interested, yeah, you just basically download Sky, which is now available on mobile and PlayStation and Nintendo Switch. And you can just go into the concert for the next month or so. Fantastic. Fantastic. I might actually have to do that. I did play uh, Sky a little bit when it was first released, obviously to, uh, um, the game's okay, but the music, yeah, that's what I was there for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope none of your colleagues are listening to this, but the, uh, um, yeah, it sounds like it might be a good time to jump back in and and, uh, and go check out more of that music, uh, maybe play the game as well, but mostly the music, because, uh, you know, I, I love your work, Vince, so yeah, I'm sure... As always, your modesty is uh, on fine display here, and I'm sure actually, you know, what you describe as being something that you're very nervous about actually, you know, was was far and beyond the level that most of us would be able to achieve. So uh, um, I don't think you have to worry too much, but, you know, that's fantastic. Congratulations. What it sounds like, uh, um, at least at this point, uh, what what is it like about 12 hours for you after the event? It sounds like you can finally breathe a... Sigh of relief and, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. I can definitely relax. I've got a weekend ahead of me, which is really cool. Oh, and mm. then, but then besides that, there was all the stuff that happened before that, which was the Game Awards. Uh, did you actually sure. check that out last night? No, it was, um, I mean, it was, it was 1 a.m. in the morning here oh. when it was, uh, when, when the live stream was. Uh, this morning I had a bit of a uh, busy day doing some, some sound work and stuff and uh, so I'd, I uh, the best that I had time for was just going through some Eurogamer articles that uh, you know just um, uh, did a roundup of all the new trailers just listened to a bunch of the uh, notice how I say listened to a bunch of the trailers what I should say is I watched a bunch of the trailers of course mainly for the music and the sound but uh, um, went through the the trailers that were announced uh, yesterday and then just had a quick browse through the the nominations and the winners uh, just to check out, uh, of course, the uh, the audio category to see um, uh, which accolades uh, were won by our beloved colleagues. And so, um, yeah, no, I didn't actually watch the actual event, though. But mm -hmm. I guess you, you were there the whole time, uh, like, in the auditorium, I suppose. I was, yeah. It was a pretty cool event. Although I would say that the bass was a little too high. No, it wasn't a little too okay. high. It was really hot where we okay. were sitting. Um, it was very hard to really distinguish too much outside of that. It was, it was a little frustrating. Right. But mm. it was still a really fun event. Let's see. The thing that comes to mind right now is that, yes, Elden Ring got the best game award so a lot of people are really excited about that but one of the other big winners was god of war ragnarok 
which yeah. seemed to get all the audio-related awards this year. Um, so mm. best score, uh, best audio design, and um, you know, best performance, I guess you would call that, since it is voice acting uh, for Christopher mm. Judge. Uh, but yeah, uh, they got those awards uh, amongst a, like a big set of nominees that were all really worthy. Uh, like I'm looking at audio design right now. The nominees there were, besides God of War, uh, Elden Ring, Call of Duty mm -hmm. Modern Warfare 2, Horizon Forbidden West, and Gran Turismo 7, which honestly, that was the one I was kind of secretly rooting for. Um, <laughs> I mean, I played that game the most out of all of those. I mean, I did play a little bit of Elden Ring, a little bit of uh, uh, Horizon and Call of Duty at God of War came out really recently, so I haven't really had a chance to give that uh any amount of time, quite honestly. On the other hand, Gran Turismo 7, totally different game from all the other ones, but I just loved the way that thing sounded. It was mm. it was that combination of simulation and accuracy along with immersion and the presentation um, that is really driven by the quality of the sound and the UI sound design and the music that really mm. did it for me. It's it's such a a beautiful, elegant, artistic game as well as a racing simulation. And I really appreciated that. So I was personally rooting for that, even though I knew, my, my brain knew, it's probably going to go to something like God of War or Elden Ring. I, I figured those were mm. really the two front runners there. I mean, it's just, um, it's fantastic, isn't it? I I um uh in watching all of the trailers actually, one thing that stood out to me um quite starkly is the um the way that audio, specifically in the case of the trailers, the way that uh, voice acting can just really, really lift the whole thing. And by the same token, or I should say on the flip side of that, can really, really break the whole thing as well. Mm -hmm. Um a few months ago I was checking out a game, which I will um uh, I will not mention the name of. Um, the game itself is is quite good, actually, and it's very good. It it looks very very nice. It plays pretty well. Um, it's got a good premise. The story, the narrative is quite interesting. Um, uh, actually, very interesting, quite compelling, very imaginative. The actual game sound is very good. The music is excellent, but the mm. voice acting is terrible. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, it, it's just like no, no, ah, oh. and you can tell that the um, I, I hate to say it, uh, but you can sort of tell that the the budget was was not really um, balanced out very well across all of those areas hmm. uh, because the, the voice acting, and this is of course no disrespect at all to you know the voice actors out there who are um. Uh, I don't know a more tactful way to say this, so I'll just say it. But the voice actors out there who are, um, you know, at a at a at different stages of their of, career. Yeah. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Um, you, you could tell that you know that the, these voice actors, the 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 you know, that just not quite there. It it actually. Um, uh, I'm sorry. This is actually kind of moving a little bit away from the game awards, but the. Um, I did get a strong feeling that it, it's not so much in this in this particular game. It wasn't so much the, the the level of talent from the voice actors. I think it was more just the direction. 
mm. you know, the the voice direction when you, you, it really sounded like these voice actors were given a piece of paper or an Excel file with a line and very little context of what's going to come before and what's going to come after what they have to say. And they just read it. And then perhaps somebody sort of chops up the the voice samples and puts them in different orders and arranges them so that it fits together into a conversation with another voice actor who's not in the same room when they're recording. And you can just tell that they had very little direction mm -hmm. and therefore the, the um, you know, the, only really the very best uh, voice actors in that situation could probably extrapolate that, okay, that this is probably the situation and this is probably the feel that's that's need to be here in this moment in this game. Mm. Um, yeah, and so it just, um, just like you said, you know, that the power that sound, great sound, such as in the God of War and all of the other nominations for um, uh, the audio awards at the Game Awards, like the just in the way that great sound can really lift a great game to just, you know, epic heights. By the same token, you can take a really good game and when one element of the, the areas that we do, and in this case, voice direction or voice acting is subpar or quite subpar, the whole thing just sort of falls apart. And it, yeah, this particular game, I just had to, I, I wanted to play it more because all of the other elements um, fit together very well. I just had a really hard time going on very far with it because it was just, oh, I can't listen to this voice acting. These poor mm -hmm. actors, you could tell, you know. So one thing when I was watching all of those trailers anyway is the um, the quality of the voice acting, especially with these massive budget, you know, big AAA titles, um, you know, the, with the real A-list world-class voice actors that they get, it just just superb absolutely superb and so mm -hmm. yeah shout out to all of our uh, um voice actor friends out there listening uh we we love what you do so yeah that was just a thought that i had thinking about um uh, the quality of sound and something that i noticed watching all of those trailers definitely yeah voice direction is uh, it, it's really hard it actually got me thinking about the time that i spent i really shouldn't give myself the label of voice director because I'm not really a good voice director, but sometimes I do actually have to direct sessions with voice actors. And it's it's really tough unless you know what the conversation is. Um, mm. And there's always a conversation that's there in the game somewhere. It's kind of funny that. So most of my experience voice directing actually comes in fighting games where the types right. of voices that you're dealing with are going to be 90% of the time big action callouts where right. you know, you're like screaming attack names and doing a bunch of different grunts and and shouts and yelps and and all that stuff but uh it took me a while, like honestly a few months of going through a couple of different character recording sessions, but I realized that, oh my God, I'm actually playing the game. I actually know what this game is doing in terms of creating a conversation that is communicated through these voices. Uh, and it's not apparent to these people who are reading an Excel file 
And it's got to be my job to actually tell them how these sounds work with each other. You're saying right. this line here, not just in a vacuum, but often you're going to be leading up to it with all these other lines that are going on. And so you're thinking about that in that context rather than some other context like, oh, the narrative of you and your character and their relationship with the other character on screen. Um, but sometimes it is, in fact, that, oh, it, it says this thing on the Excel spreadsheet and it actually is a character specific thing. And they might not realize that because of how the Excel spreadsheet is actually laid out. That's kind of an art in and of itself. Like, how exactly are you communicating with the voice actor all of these possibilities that are big and explicit or maybe nuanced, but actually very informational into how a line might be delivered? So, exactly. yeah, voice direction is that, – that is a real, real task and not just a yeah. matter of, um, oh, I can do this while I'm manning the console and having this person just go run down the list and giving me three takes of every single line so that I could figure out which one just sounds the best. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I've um, had the opportunity to do voice direction only maybe two or three times. Um, but on a previous game, I worked with a really good... Um, it was interesting, actually. He was not. He he wrote the dialogue for this game, uh, but he he wasn't uh, by trade. He wasn't a dialogue writer, and also by trade he wasn't a uh, an audio person. He was actually an, an audio file, huh. uh, and he yeah he he has a he had a um has an extremely sensitive and sophisticated uh, appreciation of music and sound, uh, but he he's not in game audio. He was actually sort of a I guess like a more or less like a producer on this project and um doing the sound was he and i and i was doing all of the audio implementation um and the sound effects and we had uh, another uh, great colleague do the music and uh yeah this guy was in charge of the dialogue and then it would be my job to basically go through all of the stuff that comes from the voice actors chop it all up and this particular game had oh yeah it must be like i don't know think uh, a bit over 1,000 lines. Maybe, oh, no, sorry. Wow. Yeah, I, th I think it might have been about 1,000 lines. So it's a very, very dialogue, no, relatively dialogue intense. Anyway, the point of this is that um, this guy, even though he, uh, by trade, he was not an audio person and also he uh, had never really had experience with audio direction before, because he'd written the dialogue the the level of um, detail that he could explain to the voice actors, this is your character, this is their personality, this is what they're feeling in this moment, this is what has happened just before, mm -hmm. this is what is going to happen just after this, here is where they're standing, this is the environment they're in, this is what they're doing with their body at the moment that they're saying this, and this is how their face looks, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> like, and so much detail and honestly like the 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 takes that came back from the voice actors it was my job to actually choose the right take that that i thought would be good so good mm. and the, the interesting thing is that like the these voice actors as well um uh these were voice actors that were um uh marketing marketing themselves via uh one of these sort of aggregate I don't remember the name of it, but there's, there's this is uh, a aggregate sort of voice actor website that you can go to. Mm. 
and you know you you click and you hear a demo and then you'll see the price there and then you know how many how many dollars per line or whatever uh and yeah interestingly enough you know the the voice actors that were chosen for this project were all fairly uh, low budget i don't really understand enough about the voice acting realm to know really what the difference is between when somebody prices themselves very low versus when they price themselves very high mm. i don't know if that's you know um a case of you know somebody who prices themselves low having less experience and therefore wanting to you know basically compete on price uh, i i really don't know how how it works uh, inside that sector of our industry but these voice actors despite being you know fairly i guess you know uh, low priced on this aggregate site wow the results were absolutely excellent mm. and i realized in that moment that you know it's not only the it, it it's it, it's a it's a beautiful balance because with all of that direction it's so much easier for a good voice actor to then just imagine you know and and to provide these kinds of options uh with their reading of it and then of course the rest of it is entirely the the excellent talent and ability and experience of the actor themselves mm. able to conjure up those kinds of feelings that situation that emotion uh that nuance from the direction and convert it into something that they read with their voice so yeah it i as i said i've i've not had that many opportunities to do voice direction myself uh but observing it done really really well like that was was really inspiring and it, it really just showed me wow you know with the right direction a really good voice actor can just really take it to astronomical levels of quality uh and the options that they give you as the the sound person you know it was actually really fun because in many cases these takes you know all of them would just be fantastic but there's slightly different shades but beautiful colors if you know what i mean yeah <laughs> you know that's actually and, super and, fun on that end where yeah. you're like, oh, oh, actually, yeah, you're just provided with all this, not raw material, but really fantastic, beautiful material. And you realize with that, you have the ability to add further detail just from choosing to use this particular line in this way. Or, oh, I exactly. want the option to actually convey this bit at this part. And it's, yeah, it's so That's nice. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And it, the, the, the great thing about it is it wasn't ever an easy choice. It was actually a very, I mean, it's a very luxurious problem to have, but it was like, you know, it wasn't a case of, okay, that that's definitely the one. These are the two ones, you know, kind of missing the mark. It was like, wow, every one of them is fantastic. Well, which one am I going to choose? I, it, it really was like, um, um, uh, yeah, it was just like, which shade of amazing should I choose here? <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, it, and that that experience and having that experience of you know what happens when when voice acting is on that level and voice direction is on that level just meant that this game that I was playing that I was mentioning uh, just earlier uh, a few months ago was just uh, you know man I could just tell that the, uh, the, the yeah just it wasn't wasn't quite clicking there with the uh, with the the voice actors probably not having enough information or the voice direction being not quite up to scratch or yeah, you know, it's just a real shame. Right. So anyway, all of that to say, uh, yeah, big ups, love and respect to our voice actor friends out there who are just doing fantastic jobs. So keep it up. Yeah. I'm actually reminded of <laughs> my very, very first foray 
into video game voice acting. Basically, while I was in grad school in the mid-late 2000s, someone got my name and passed it on to this European developer that was making a strategy game and asked if I had any sort of ability to create a plan, gather talent, and record a whole game. I'm like, uh, what? Uh, okay, sure. And I was, uh, I was one of those sort of like young, energetic whippersnappers back then. This was literally 15 years ago or so. And basically what I did was, uh, okay, let's see if I can do a a test run based on what is the material that you might be giving me. And they gave me some cutscene scripts and I was still in college. So I got a couple of people who are from this one uh, sort of sketch comedy group that was on campus, as well as a couple of other video game friend colleagues that were in grad school with me. And we tried recording all of these actors and actresses in in different ways. Uh, I did it in the round. So I had a bunch of microphones uh, set up so that everyone was recording the script in ensemble in a single take. Mm. And I'm like... All right, let's do it. I I bet we can do this. Uh, I'm just sort of attaching people to these characters. You know, I had a little bit of I had a little bit of information on what was going on in the game and who these characters were. It kind of felt like they just needed stuff to get populated in game. So let's see what I can do in order to do that. And uh, that's what I gave them. And then they sent me some emails saying, yeah, this actually really isn't that good. <laughs> it, w- it was actually really funny. Um, they weren't uh, trying to be polite about it. They just said, yeah, this this isn't good, so we're going to go with someone else. Thanks. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and to be quite frank, that's exactly what I realized was exactly the case because I, I barely knew how to do anything at that point. I, I, I was... I had actually gotten by with my early forays in video game audio simply by being quick. And it Mm. helps that I was also a pretty good musician at that point. So my ear was pretty well trained. I knew what was good. So I I had taste on my side alongside being able to just exercise things really quickly. You need music? I'm going to whip it out quick. You need two minutes of music? I bet I could do it in two hours. Um, and so I did that. And then here's this other thing in game audio. All right, I'm going to do the same thing. And I did the exact same thing. I'm going to do this thing quick. Uh, but I didn't have the ear. I wasn't practiced. I figure, oh, let's see what happens if I just sort of throw things together. And, uh, that's what happened. That was one of my early, early rejections. Um, but Hey, that that's okay. It's, it's okay when you're learning and there isn't a whole lot of stuff invested. And, uh, I gather a bunch of friends and acquaintances in college and we're basically just having fun seeing if this thing could, could happen. Hey, Hey, you want to try throwing your hat into the ring of voice acting some European real-time strategy game in the, in the mid two thousands fun times. Well, you, you, you went from that uh, through uh, all the uh, decades of your career through to two years ago doing some voiceover work for the game that we worked on together, Space Folk City. <laughs> of course, the, uh, 
if, if anybody out there is listening who has actually played our game Space Folk City, you'll of course recognize Vince as the DJ for Space Folk FM, the legendary, iconic uh, uh, DJ DJ voice, which is which is yours, of course. Um, <laughs> I loved that, <laughs> honestly. That was so fun to do. Uh, but um, I, I mean, it's not like I'm a really super well-trained voice actor. I'm really the furthest from that, but... Uh, at least I've listened to enough stuff that I can tell whether I'm doing something that's crap. And also I can use the other skills that I have as an audio engineer and I can time things right to go along with the music that I was also creating at the same time along with it so that it all comes together together to hit really nicely. So um, that was really darn fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a fun project. Um, for for those curious, Vince, uh, so that the game has a, a radio, and it's a radio station called Space Folk FM that plays an assortment of the um, oh, 20, 21 songs that uh, twenty or twenty one, I think there were mm-hmm. songs that Vince and I uh, created together for the for the radio station, and then uh, yeah, periodically you'd have Vince's voice coming in saying uh, Space Folk FM, but you've also yeah. got <laughs> you saying some of those ridiculous. Um, what do they call those? Yeah. What was the bump, bumpers? That's bumpers, right, radio bumpers. Yeah. What yeah. Was it cool tunes and hot beats? You know, or yeah, stuff, stuff like that. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, a whole lot of fun. Every every component, you know, of uh, I mean, it, we obviously not only um, uh, game audio. Obviously, on on the whole, every component of a of a video game when it's all working in harmony and it's all on the same level of quality and the same level of refinement. And it's all just sort of clicking over and and uh, uh, working in tandem. Uh, it the, the whole experience just becomes just this magnificent artistic achievement. But even within each one each area, um, just like you know, lousy character design isn't going to sa- isn't going to be saved by amazing looking graphics. And uh, by the same token, you know, um, uh, lousy sound effects design isn't going to be saved by you know incredible audio implementation or amazing music or amazing voice acting you know it's, it's, mm-hmm. it really is necessary to have a standard uh, across all of the areas of um every facet of a game but when it's all when it's all happening and it's all clicking over together uh, it's it's yeah magnificent i think um last week uh when uh, sorry last episode we spoke to martin stig anderson and I was talking about the game Control, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I uh, finished uh, since that uh, that episode. Oh, nice! Yeah, went out and um, have you finished Control? No, I haven't. Before? I have not. Okay, all right. Okay, so uh, I will say nothing. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> please. I, that like that is on my list. I'm hoping that I can actually finish it uh, during my my New Year's break. It is. Um, what's the right way to put it without spoiling anything? Well, I guess I've already spoiled some some of the ending now by making a big deal about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it, it's a it's an extremely um, I well I don't know I have not ever seen an ending like that before in a video game. So, uh, but anyway, uh, talking about the sound, mm-hmm. uh, the control is a great example, really, where um, every aspect of that game is is just on a great level the sound is absolutely amazing 
you do also you know there are situations where um the sound is is too good for the game <laughs> I, I can i can think of a few examples which of course don't really need to be named but the there's a few examples of games i've played where that the sound is just far better than the game itself and i guess because you know i enjoy game audio i play the game because i want to experience the sound and just sort of tolerate the game mm-hmm. <laughs> um but control is one of the examples where uh no like the game looks just exquisite uh, and uh, the gameplay is finely tuned, the difficulty is finely tuned, and of course the audio is just mm-hmm. uh, is just spectacular. And um, as we were talking last week, you know, the, the the one of the great things about Martin's work, of course, is the um, is the way that his music, if you want to call it that, really just sort of enve- envelops the whole audio experience like a kind of glue. Yeah, and you wouldn't. You wouldn't really be able to say, oh, that's the music playing right there, or no, that's a sound effect. It all just sort of wraps into one kind of, kind of, you know, throbbing mass of sound that, that just kind of, that assaults you and you, you just sort of pulls you straight into the world and into the game. And it's just outstanding. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah so- definitely. That, that blend of music into sound and it's really, really nice. Um yeah. Yeah, so, it, it's a, it really is funny how impossible, well, is it impossible? How difficult it is to just perfectly separate sound design from music in really all those games. I mean, it's not just Control, but like all the older games that he is, you know, rightfully lauded for, you know, things like Inside and Limbo. It's just, oh, mm. is that sound design or is it music? Or it's like, is it musical sound design? Is it really... Right. Um, immersive musical design, and it's like, oh well, there you go. It is. Yeah, and and he just doesn't care, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's the great that's the great part. I mean, he he just does. He's just making, uh, in general, just making sound for a video game, and so it doesn't. It's not important to him, you know, whether this is a sound effect or music. It's just sound for a video game, and so yeah. Anyway, I mean, I th- that's um, if if uh, if you're interested, please go back and listen to our. Uh, our episode, our previous episode where we had a, a wonderful chat with him. Yeah. I, I do think it is worth noting that you have to be at a certain place where you can choose to treat those components in those ways. Is it sound? Right. Is it music? I mean, I keep on going back to my own relationships with different companies where when I say that I'm a music composer, but I want to do sound design you actually have to worry about things like, am I stepping on a sound designer's toes? Or is this something that would be covered in the contract when it comes to what your actual responsibilities are or what compensation is actually set up as and and things like Mm. that? Um, For me, it goes all the way back to Flower, where eventually it got settled, but there was some difficulty when I was talking with Sony who was ostensibly contracting me to be the music composer for a That Game Company game. Mm. And it it didn't even hit me back then just how difficult it was because of the way that things were set up. Um, that Game Company actually didn't have an in-house sound designer, and sound was actually a service provided to That Game Company by their own 
in-house Sony sound designers. So so they would be doing things like, um, let's say, um, working on a game like uh, Warhawk for PlayStation 3 in the morning. And then in the afternoon, they would visit us over in the that game company offices and say, oh, yeah, what, what can I do for you in terms of sound for this game? I say us as if I was actually a member of that game company, but the truth of the matter was that I wasn't. And actually, it was many, not just weeks, but months of conversation with Sony saying, well, I am the music composer for this game, but I'm actually doing some music programming and some sound design and some sound programming, and I'm going to be coming into the office doing these things. And the people at Sony weren't exactly sure how to handle me, either in terms of me as a developer or a music composer, or in terms of my contract and how it should be written. So it was it was very funny that um, you know in the end everything worked out okay. The game came out it it did well and people were happy with my contributions to the game. But when I came into it, there was some uncertainty and confusion. Yeah, I can see the um for sure I think that the the line between sound design and music traditionally is obviously much more stark uh, and well defined um than, you know, uh, a project that may employ Martin C Anderson to do the mm-hmm. audio. Um uh, and I guess it it does make it easier, just because traditionally, you know, that's the way that our part of the industry is set up. You know, we have some people who specialize in sound effects creation and foley work, and we have people who specialize in composing and producing music. Um, and obviously, you have people who can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, from the point of view of a producer, when you're setting your your game up, you know that you, that's you would think of those things as being separate uh, because you know for the for the most part they are and um i think that's the reason why traditionally you know even w- when you think of genre in in uh, game audio it, that order already it dictates that there's going to be a difference you know for example um uh you know if somebody employs me to make the music for their game then it's probably going to be something electronic or something you know synthesizer based in which case they would say okay we want a synthwave soundtrack for our game all right you know therefore we that already dictates that okay this is separate now because mm-hmm. you, you can't say we, we want synthwave and then therefore the sound effects and the music are all going to be synthwave you know it doesn't really make sense like that whereas you know in the case of Martin Stiganison obviously um he has a very um privileged position but then also a very well-deserved position of um people he said it himself last episode as well that you know he he doesn't tend to be uh chosen for things that are not really in his wheelhouse and in his case he has a is a very special case where people who choose him for their projects choose him because they want that meshing of the two in a seamless way uh, in in a sort of an untraditional way, so yeah, for sure, I think um, for the for the for the rest of us, <laughs> for the rest of us mere mortals, mm-hmm. I think that uh, uh, having that divide between sound effects and music, uh, and at least acknowledging um, that that's the way it is uh, for people outside of game audio, um, uh, is 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 always going to be something that we have to do. I think. 
I mean, I'm just thinking back to who I was at that time. I was just a kid that had some music chops, but otherwise did a hilariously bad creative bid for a voice acting recording for a European real-time strategy game. So <laughs> I, I, I didn't exactly have much under me uh, to support right. what I could do. Right. Uh, it's... it's um... It's fantastic, though, to have people that we work with uh, who are who are really pushing the envelope uh, and doing things intentionally, doing things in a very different, non-traditional way. Um, uh, and of course, Martin Stiganson is is one of those kinds of people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it. I wouldn't say pushing the envelope in the sense that this is the, like uh, progressing our art forward, such that okay, this is the way that we all have to do it now. It's just another way to approach the, the common objective that we all share of of making excellent sound for games mm-hmm. and having people that do that. It's just so inspiring because it it just, you know, makes you ask questions about your own habits and your own fallbacks and your own um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the way that you do things. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe, yeah, maybe I don't have to write a synthwave soundtrack. Maybe I could try something else. And actually, on that point, oh. um, this past yeah, this past week. I, <laughs> oh no, I've actually been um, uh, sort of toying around with trying to write orchestral music. Ooh, fun! Yeah, entirely for myself. This isn't isn't for any game, thankfully. Man, it's hard, Vince. It's, <laughs> no, no, no wonder I I always get you and Mike to do orchestral music for me whenever I need it for any projects or stuff that I'm doing because it's hard. Uh, when you're so used to working in one way, and in my case, I'm so used to working on, um, you know, uh, fairly purist electronic genres of music, I guess it's very good to challenge myself to try and do something very, very differently. But it's it's really very difficult. Like when it, when it comes to writing, let's say, a track of techno, mm. I know exactly where to start. I know what order to do things in. I know how to make things sound good. I know how to mix it. I have a whole sort of um, bag of tricks of little things that I've accumulated over the years of making techno. And I've been making techno for, honestly, I must be like 30 years now. And so, you know, I've got a whole, uh, basically three decades worth of of little tricks and things that I can do to to get that sound or to, you know, interesting ways to develop the, the, the texture and the aesthetics of techno music. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Come and try in something totally different like orchestral music. And I I spend basically an hour or two setting up a template because it's different. It's complicated. And you've mm-hmm. got to like, you know, all the different instruments. I'm using BBC Symphony Orchestra, the core edition. So I've got all the, it isn't one of these uh, orchestral libraries where you, you know, you just pull up a full orchestra patch and just put, hit down a chord and it takes care of all the instrumentation. This is much more manual. And it's crazy. It's just like I sit there looking at it once I've got it all set up and maybe I might like play around with a violin. Like, wow, I have absolutely no idea where to start. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, it's like, yeah, trying to write with your other hand. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, wow. I, as I was like noodling around a little bit and put something down, it's like, oh, that sounds terrible. Like, this is, how do people do this? This is like, yeah, it's a very, um, uh humbling and a very um 
um, sobering experience. I think, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And also, it gives me new appreciation for people like you and and like Mike who work like this every day. And um, you know, it's just like, wow, I this is this is crazy. I have no idea what to do here. Mm. Uh, I was thinking that, like, you know, I, I listen to a lot of classical music, and I can sort of visualize or, or I guess sonically visualize instrumentation and the way orchestra can sound. So very naively, I thought that that would help me. But what I realize now is that that is like saying that, you know, I've watched 1000 tennis matches. I'm ready to go out onto the court and hit a ball. <laughs> you know, with, I, I'm ready to go and, and go and try my luck at Wimbledon. You know, no, no, just because I've listened to a whole bunch of classical music mean doesn't mean that, you know, I'm well equipped to actually get out on the tennis court and start hitting a ball with, with Federer. You know, it just it just doesn't work like that. Hey, so, you know, you might have a chance. He's retired now. Who knows what he's got <laughs> in the tank? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, so it, it was um, uh, very fun. Um, I, I guess I'll continue to, to push through the challenge, uh, but um, it, it's quite, quite <clears throat> embarrassing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's myself. tough, you know. I, mean, I think the tennis analogy is probably pretty good. You know, there's tennis is made up of so many things that you can that you have to practice. Okay, you have to practice your swing, your serve, your backhand. You have to practice approaching the net and going side to side and working your legs in different ways and your arms in different ways. And and the orchestra is kind of like that too. You know, um, most people who are composers or orchestrators, they're not 100% brilliant at every single thing that you can do with an orchestra. There are going to be things mm. that they lean on. Mm. Maybe, maybe kind of like tennis players, you know? Uh, you know, Federer does have a pretty all-around game, but, like, other guys um, have actually beaten him with games that are not all-around games. Like uh, Nadal, he's just this vicious baseliner with in, with this incredible ground stroke game and, and defense. You know, and 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 so orchestrators can be like that as well. Where uh, you know this orchestrator is fantastic at writing for strings and understands all the possibilities of strings and what violinists might be listening to as they're playing their very independent lines compared to other things that are going on in the string orchestra. And other mm. orchestrators might be uh, might be leaning on their ability to to um, stack chords in horns in in really effective and perhaps surprising ways because they come from a 20th century and um, and jazz background where they can uh, work the harmonies and work those overtones that those brass instruments create. And they're just, they, they can just intuit it. It's, it's just burned in their brains and in their fingers and they can, and they can put it on the scoring page so easily. So, hmm. you know, so like, yeah. what, so I think that might be a thing. Uh, I'm not sure if there is something that you have an idea for how you go about creating something for the orchestra or orchestrating a piece. Uh, but 
developing, uh, like having an idea about what your primary tools are going to be and then actively working on those primary tools uh, seems like a way to go. I think we've talked about it um, before in episodes where we've discussed generalized, uh, being a generalist versus being a specialist in music genre. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that nowadays, you know, all of our um, fantastic colleagues in game audio, they're just people who do things just so well now, you know I mean? Yeah. Um, and you, you have people who are just so thoroughly steeped in the lore of their art, of their craft, for example, whether that be, you know, writing for an orchestra or, you know, like in my case, I guess I, I could consider myself thoroughly steeped in, in forms of techno because I've been doing it for so long and I have a, a real passion and a love for it. So it, there's sort of an intuition now that I know this is how to do it. And when you come to tackle that and to, to sort of start without any of that intuition, without any of that, you know, gut feeling about, okay, it has to sound like this. Of course it sounds like that. Or, and mm -hmm. we need to produce it like this. Um, it can be a very intimidating, intimidating process. And one thing that actually Mike said to me, uh, cause just a few days ago, I was complaining to Mike that, uh, like, wow, this is like really hard. I have no idea how you do this. This is amazing. Like you, you're incredible. And one <laughs> piece of advice that, that Mike gave me, which was, um, very thought provoking, uh, and very, very on point was that, um, at least in his case, he said that he always tries to do as much of the composition and the writing away from the computer as possible first. And in his case, you know, he just grabs some manuscript and a pen and sits at a piano and does it that way. Uh, and then once it's all, once the, the basic structure is there, then he will sit down in front of the computer uh, and sort of basically program it in, essentially. Um, that was really, really thought provoking because I realized mm. fundamentally that workflow uh, is very, very different from the way that you produce techno, or at least the way I produce techno. And that is that, you know, um, in the case of techno, it, you can't really imagine so easily in your head what something sounds like the way that you could say, okay, this, this melody is going to be played, played by violins and flutes. You know, if you've listened to some classical music, you'll have an idea of basically what that sounds like. So you don't need to have it sound like that in order for you to extrapolate what it is you want it to play, because you can kind of imagine it. Whereas you cannot really do that with techno because obviously the, the sound palette is, is quite unlimited. It's hard to sort of imagine, okay, so uh, this, this, if I program my synth this way uh, and then I mix it with this effect, then it's kind of going to sound like that. So I don't need to actually hear it sounding like that in order to write my piece with that in it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you end up basically, the, the composition process happens at the computer you're getting sounds as you're going along, you're mixing as you're going along. Uh, and then I tried to do the same thing with this orchestra template and it just didn't work. I, mm. I, was, I just spent so long trying to make this violin line sound realistic. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. you know, just very distracted by the technical challenge of, of making a sampled orchestra library sound real that the, the artistic challenge of actually making nice music was forgotten and I was just far too distracted. So yeah, it, it's just very interesting how the, 
the approach can differ so much because I I had assumed naively that oh it's it's the sound the sound is different you know and obviously the the the, the things that you do dynamically and harmonically and melodically that's going to be different too because the sound texture is different but I had no idea that um, the workflow in some cases and especially in this case evidently the workflow is very 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 different and it has to be different for, for you to achieve anything so yeah very interesting yeah i typically stick inside the daw but i totally get what uh what mike is saying about doing his writing away from the computer just just a pencil and paper and i kind of do that even though i'm in the daw where i basically have a whole separate a set of tracks that are my sketch pad mm. and I'm playing things. I'm noting things. Um, sometimes I am noting a rhythm, but for the most part, I'm usually noting, notating harmonies and melodies. And that's about it. And I'm not thinking about whether something is going to sound real at all. I'll, I'll figure that out later. I, okay. I want to have like a good harmonic structure in place. I want to have my melodies in place. I want to have counter melodies or interesting movements or figures. Oh, here's an interesting bass thing that I want to do to interject when the melody is taking its time and stuff like that. And I'll just note that in a very blunt way. And once I have that structure in place, then I might refine it a bit, make sure that the rhythm is in the right place. And then I'll get to the point where I'm actually performing the piece. And when I'm performing mm. the piece, that's when I'm thinking about performing it the right way. In other words, I making see. it sound good because I always consider my tracking of all of these instruments, whether it be violin to flute to horns and whatnot, I am performing this like a performer that is on call. I'm expected to make this thing sound as good as I can in a single pass and hopefully mm. uh, reduce the amount of work that needs to be done in editing. Um, That's fascinating. It's so different. It's so different because when, when I'm producing techno or, or electronic styles of music, to a certain extent, to, to evaluate whether the idea has value or not for the, for the overall piece, the, it, you need, the, the sound needs to be a very, very close to complete. So mm -hmm. it, if you, an analogy in orchestral composition would be that, okay, I write this, this melody and I'm going to put it on, uh, let's say, the oboe, right? And the analogy would be that, okay, to, for me to judge whether or not this oboe melody is effective or not, it has to sound 100% realistic. So that's the, the equivalent that mm. in, the case of in the case of techno, you know, if, if you've got uh, a kind of crappy sounding generic synth patch and you put it in it it's, doesn't inspire you however with some tweaking of the patch and with some effects or with with mixing tricks and things like that the very very same melody could be incredibly inspiring and you'd only really judge that once it's done so mm. therefore you know as you're moving through the production it's kind of impossible to sort of sketch it, if you know what I mean. You can't sort of sketch it in. Um, like if you're drawing a, a picture, you can just, just sort of rough pencil sketch 
and because humans are you know we're, we're natively very visual animals mm-hmm. you can look at the pencil sketch and say okay yeah i get it i can sort of see where this can go and you can judge okay this sketch has potential when i flesh it out and when i when i refine the sketch and i do like a the, the final pass over the line work or whatever, I know that it's going to be good. So I, I know that this is this is a point I can move forward at. But in the case of, and it seems like what you're describing, the way that you work, sort of sketching first, whether that be just sort of roughly noting it down in some form in the, in the DAW or just like doing a quick scratch recording to take down the notes, um, or in Mike's case, writing on a piece of paper with a pencil before he even sits at the computer, they all sound like the sketch level and you're able to sort of judge, okay, this sketch is good. I'm heading in the right direction. But with techno and electronic music, there is no sketch. You, you <laughs> can't do that. You know, you, you can't just sort of, it, it just sounds, yeah, you, you can't judge. There's no way to sketch something. You, you have to sort of, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's like, if you're making a portrait, you have to do the, the face in fine detail first before you can decide whether or not this is the right direction to go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just such a different way to work. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's so many different types of sketches out there. I, I I can't remember where I heard this, but they were making comparisons with how different music composers and producers, so electronic music producers, would sketch out their music and how that's kind of similar to how different directors actually would storyboard their scenes because Mm -hmm. there's so many different levels at which you can... um, uh, There's so many different levels in which you can set up the structure of what a scene will be before you actually shoot it. You know, in movies, right. there's so many things, there's so many moving parts, there are camera moves, there are actor moves, there are things where, uh, oh, right, we have to actually change the set here in order to do this. We need this person to to move the reflector so that light comes in at this point where this person comes in. Um, and seeing the different types of storyboards that are out there, I think that was really interesting and being able to compare that to how different people actually sketch out their music because you can have a storyboard that is so simple where it's just I, I'm going to set up a two shot and it's literally one character from the bust up and and another character from the bust up. And then the next frame, it's, oh, well, the camera moves, which means this character becomes bigger and this character becomes smaller and, and stuff like that. But it all depends on what the music is. Is the, is the music going to be something about movement? Is the music going to be something about texture? Is the, movement, is the music going to be about explicit harmonic changes where a third is changing from a major third to a minor third? Like that could be a really meaningful thing over the course of an orchestral piece of music uh, over the course of 20 or 30 seconds. But maybe that's not really meaningful in something where you're dealing with an instrument, a synth that is uh, shifting its timbre ever so slowly over the course of 10 seconds and you feel that texture change its position in the mix and and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, I think figuring out how you're going to sketch is probably an important thing. Um, you mm. might want to figure out doing it on pencil and paper. I certainly spent many years doing that, and I I kind of like it still. You know, every now and then I'll just you know play around with a, a piece and. I'll sketch a couple notes and I'll feel really good about where those notes actually lie on the staff. And that is actually a meaningful part of the piece of music I'll write. And then other times I don't care about it at all. And actually I'm thinking about uh, an orchestral piece of music, maybe more along the lines of an, an electronic piece of music where I am actually thinking about specific textures that are created by changing parameters where oh i i want the sound of one cello becoming two cellos becoming three cellos becoming four cellos and that is actually where the piece of music is is it really meaningful to sketch that out i mean i just described what it is but you can imagine how that's a meaningful sound so and uh you know, what exactly is the orchestral sound you're going for? Like, I'm very much a neo-romantic composer that's also inspired by jazz. And that's why right. I sketch the way that you do. Um, maybe um, I'm actually thinking about, like, can you imagine yourself to be, as an orchestral composer, more aligned to people that would consider themselves minimalist composers? So, you know, your guys like a like a Steve Reich or maybe mm. like a, like an Arvo Parr who's like, you know, sort of that like mystical type of minimalism where it is mm. very much about sound texture. Um, well, yeah, actually, like, w what do you think about that? Like when it comes to being an orchestral composer, like, do you have a thought in your mind or an image of the type of orchestral composer that you would manifest as. Shostakovich. Oh, man. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I don't know, really. I, I, I have no idea. Like, I think um, I, I have so little experience with doing it. Uh, I, I can only really sort of speak to the kind of classical music that I, or the kind of, sorry, the kind of orchestra music that I like to listen to. Yeah. Um, and sort of like the, the kind of orchestra music that I idolize. Um, Shostakovich, I would say Rachmaninoff, but no, I mean, Rachmaninoff is, it, it's, it's precious. You know, you, you, you just can't go there. Uh, well, obviously, I don't, I would never I, well, have, have the skill to go there. I mean, you could. I, I mean, I think my personal yeah. take is that uh, Rachmaninoff from a harmonic standpoint, is very straightforward. I mean, he's very much right. a neoclassicist when it comes right. to his harmonies. So if you know how to do five ones in a couple of different ways, you can create progress and progression and something exciting. Right, um, right. Uh, you know, Shostakovich, he's a little bit more interesting because he's also kind of neoclassical, but I also consider himself much more interesting when it comes yeah. to rhythm. Um, right, exactly. And and, uh, and the way that he uses um, orchestral instruments to create both big explicit rhythms as well as subtle rhythmic textures 
is worth studying. You know, okay, right. yeah, big brass, and uh, yeah, how do I use my low brass for rhythmic figures? And how do right. I use like low and mid winds to create rhythm while other things are doing other things? You don't perceive things like clarinet and bassoon and oboe as rhythmic instruments, but you feel it in there right. and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. man, I mean, I think, I think perhaps as, as somebody um, myself, who's like, you know, uh, died in the colors of techno, basically, uh, I think probably something like Shostakovich would be a, a natural, <laughs> a natural sort of simile in, in that world. But yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I really don't know. I, I, um, I know that I like Shostakovich, and I know that at least as a as a fan of um, uh, of, of no, as somebody from the the world of electronic music, it, a lot of his approach just sort of makes sense somehow. It's like, yeah, that's that's how you, that's how you do it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Well, but, I mean, you anyway. can always just uh, have fun with that. I, actually, I wonder how good is BBC Orchestra when it comes to um, when it comes to percussion. Does it give you a lot of options there? Uh, I mean, you're asking the wrong person. Uh, yes, uh, in the, the there's there's lots of percussion, but I I mean I really don't know. I mm. I, I uh, yeah, ask Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just going on here. Uh, like I'm looking at this website. Forty four instruments. Let's see what we got here. Oh, what's included? There's a nice little tab there. Strings, trumpets, tenor trumpet. Oh, percussion. Cool. Celesta, harp, glockenspiel, timpani, xylophone, marimba, tubular bells. Oh, you need more than... Oh, oh, okay, here we go. Untuned. Nice. Okay, bass drum, some articulations on bass drums, anvils, uh, cymbals, military drums, piatti, snares, tam-tams. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I really... I really don't know if that if that's good or not. I, I don't have the experience to judge, but... Uh... Yeah, those anyway. are pretty good. Uh, like my thought, honestly, would be having fun with mixing with brass and percussion, and mm. uh, like in in terms of making something sound realistic, maybe coming from the side of, hey, this is where I am in terms of recording and making something that sounds good in terms of the the overall effect of your simulated mm. recorded orchestra rather than um, perhaps dealing with lines and, and melody and, and stuff like that. Mm. Maybe maybe I have been approaching this this experiment the wrong way. Maybe a better approach might be to to forget that I'm actually making this with an orchestra with, with an orchestra palette and attempt to do it the way that I would be writing if I was writing, you know, in a style I'm more comfortable with and just see what happens. Maybe that might be a better approach. Oh, certainly, man, that's certainly cool. Sounds easier. <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, now that I've said Shostakovich, I've just set the bar extremely high for myself, <laughs> haven't I? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'll, I'll play it to you and you go, uh, Alex, this sounds nothing like Shostakovich. Uh, yes. Anyway. Well. Well, this is uh, yeah. This has been a really fun discussion. I think yeah. it's probably time we moved on to uh, some conspicuous consumption, and the uh, regulars of the show will know that that is uh, that is where we 
just go around the table or go across the table in this case and uh, and just find out what media that we've been consuming games books literature movies uh, obviously music uh, so so yeah Vince what what's uh, what's been on your um uh, your consumption consumption table this week so let's see right now on PlayStation, I've got a demo that needs to be played. I just loaded it up, but I haven't really played it. It's called Forspoken, but mm. this actually corresponds with that whole The Game Awards, which happened last night. Uh, I really miss that when people would say, hey, we've got a demo available for you to play right now and not just simply, oh, yeah, here's the date of when it will be released. We got so much of that. I love playing these demos that you can play for an hour or, or whatever. Those used to be way more common or less common these days, as well, at least among the big AAA type games that you might be anticipating. So I'm really excited to play that. But in terms of uh, things that I've really been uh, consuming. Uh, I watched a movie in theaters last week. That was really cool. It's uh, the new Ryan Johnson, Daniel Craig starring mystery Glass Onion, which is sort of a, a okay. sequel to Knives Out. And God, I love mysteries. I really do. When I was a kid, my favorite author was Agatha Christie. I loved okay. Agatha Christie novels. So I went through all of that and now I'm going through this and uh, these things are crafted with a similar care. And it's so fun to go through this story and go through not just um, these particular traits that Ryan Johnson, who is the writer and director, has already set up for how these movies will go in terms of what general relationships you might expect between these characters, but also for Daniel Craig, who is reprising his role and uh, and seeing him have so much fun executing this this film. It's it's definitely one of the most fun and enjoyable things that I have seen and. Uh, that I've experienced in a while when it comes to movies. The the sound is actually really fun because it is surprisingly action-packed. There's a lot of fun uh, gags as well as uh, big visual effect shots. Uh, if you know the first Knives Out film, you know it's not super big. It's just a very simple murder mystery. There's not a whole lot being asked for when it comes to big action or crazy effects or whatnot. They're definitely doing some different things in this film with you know, crazy set pieces, big visual effects. And it was actually very fun to listen to this film compared to the uh compared to the first Knives Out film. So I think from mm. a sound standpoint, it's actually really cool as well. <laughs> That's great. What was it called again? It's called the Glass movie? Onion. Glass okay. Onion. I think, um, yeah, I'll have to go and check out a trailer for that because I'd be really eager to see uh, Daniel Craig just having a bit of fun not being James Bond. <laughs> yeah, he deserves it, honestly. Just, yeah. I think James Bond probably took a lot out of him. I think he said as much in some interviews, but uh, yeah, him having fun yeah. is really cool. Cool. Have you been checking That's out some great. stuff lately? Yeah, actually. Um, so when I, when I start... So what actually inspired me to try this thing with with orchestral stuff might be a little bit surprising for you. Um, 
It was actually James Horner's soundtrack for Aliens. Oh, nice. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I just, I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was like doing some business work. And I think I, I really, I really need, you know, here in Sweden, it's in this season, it's very, very dark all day. Maybe the sun comes up at around, you know, maybe, no, it doesn't come up, but it sort of gets light around 10 o'clock. And then at mm-hmm. around 2.30 or 3, uh, around 3, it's pitch black, but around 2.30, it's sort of, you know, um, evening look. So it's very dark all day. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, I was just doing some business work here and I said, you know, I, I need some dark music. So first thing that came to mind was, yeah, James Horner's um, iconic soundtrack for Aliens. Yeah. That's what actually I listened to that and I thought, yeah, I'd like to try something like this. I want to try some orchestral stuff. This is great. So I think, um, yeah, please nobody draw analogies between James Horner's soundtrack for Aliens and Shostakovich. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that, that uh, listening to the soundtrack is very interesting, actually, because the movie is so, um, uh, what's the right word? Demanding <laughs> is the, rest, the word I can think of in, in every way. I mean, it's a masterpiece, really, of science fiction, but... It's so demanding in every way that the music, it, it like something by Martin Stig Anderson, the music slots in very, very perfectly. Um, uh, and there are, there are points during the movie when the music really comes up and you notice it. Uh, obviously, the iconic ones would be the very beginning of the movie uh, and also some of those action sequences um, uh, where you, you can probably hear... Yeah, bang, and the big sort yeah. of good iron girder sounds and stuff like that. Um, uh, but actually, if you actually listen to the soundtrack without the movie, there's a lot of really excellent stuff in there that you just don't really notice when you're watching because it's so demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a, a minimal. I guess it's kind of sort of it, it does feel a bit like certain genres of electronic music. Maybe that's what was appealing for me. That maybe. I listened to that and thought, yeah, I could do this. No, no, I can't do that. But <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, uh, I'm sure people are listening. I'm sure everybody knows the sound, the the soundtrack that I'm talking about. And if you if you haven't heard it or you haven't listened to it for a while, please go have a listen to James Horner's soundtrack for Aliens because it is very, very inspiring um, in terms of uh, uh, you know the, the the breadth of expression and the diverse aesthetic quality of what the orchestra can achieve. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to link you to something right now, which is um, the Aliens, uh, James Horner's Aliens in full score. Um, All right. Like, this honestly is something that should be done more often. Uh, sometimes it's hard to because it's hard to just find full scores for movies uh, for movie soundtracks. But I have a couple of them. Actually, I'm reminded of a couple weeks ago. I realized that oh, Matrix. I can just watch those things on HBO right now. So, oh, wait. I have the score to this. So I go upstairs. I, I grab the the book from my bookshelf, and I'm like, I'm going to follow along to the Matrix. Ah, with the score in hand and mm. it's like that's 
not just fun. That's like real valuable study when it comes to like connecting what are the techniques on the page and what are the sounds that you're hearing here, as well as what is the sound design when it comes to how the music is actually aligning with these beats in the film. It's it's so so cool and it's so fun to study that way excellent yeah i I kind of wish that there was an equivalent for um uh for electronic music i guess yeah maybe some you know some youtube on some producers will will do like a a walkthrough of how they produce their tracks which i guess is the the closest equivalent but it's it's, it's not quite not quite the same really and that sounds really educational thanks i'll i'll uh, definitely have a listen and, and read along yeah, yeah well, hopefully that'll be fun because yeah, Aliens is a great, great soundtrack. So right, yeah. Cool. Well, oh, right there we go. Yeah, what a this was a really interesting discussion. Thank you, Vince. Yeah, thank you. This was this was a really fun. Well, more than an hour, but <laughs> yeah. Let, let's go ahead and come to a close here because this was. Episode 234 of the Game Audio Hour. If you liked what you heard, feel free to support us by subscribing to us at your podcast purveyor of choice and leaving us a review to keep us in the forefront of the algorithm. You can also follow us on Twitter at Game Audio Hour, where we will post notices about future episodes as well as try to support some other fun and positive voices out there in the Twitterverse. And of course, the easy way to do all of this without having to remember any of what I said is to go to GameAudioHour.com. So go ahead and do that while we express regret over things that we bought for Black Friday. Bye. No regrets, Vince. No regrets. No regrets. No oh, regrets? And, uh, no regrets? Blue jeans. Blue jeans. I had to throw that into sort of tie it back to the stupid beginning of the show. Bye. Oh, blue jeans. Oh, okay. Well, well I don't know.